Cunnus T. How are ye? Welcome to the Candlelit Tales podcast. I'm Sarah Hegarty and I'm here with my brother. Yes, I am Aaron and we are the cow co, the cow, the cow founders. We founded cows, now we're the co-founders of Candlelit Tales. We tend to tell old Irish stories set to music, some of which feature cows, some of which do not. It's a lot of cows. And we tend to chat about them afterwards for a little bit. Now, we're still fairly new. This podcast is, what, episode about five or six that we're doing today? Episode six. Episode six. And, uh, yeah, we're kind of figuring out a rhythm. So please let us know what you think of these so far. Uh, Last time we had a slightly shorter story. This time we're going to have a little bit of a longer story. So tell us which which you prefer, which one you like to hear more of. Um, We are always looking for new ways to tell the old stories and you can keep up with all of our progress and our projects on candlelittales.ie. We also want these stories to be available to everybody that's interested. So if you'd like to support us and actually, you know, make it so that we get paid for doing these podcasts... You can find us at patreon.com forward slash candlelit tales and uh, you can throw us a few quid a month and keep us going. And we'll have some rewards for supporters coming up on there. You can follow us there. You can follow us on your preferred social media channel and uh, you can look for the hashtag keep her candlelit because that's our hashtag. But uh, enough of the promotions now. So Aaron, Aaron, tell us the story. Sure thing. All right. Fado, Fado, a long, long time ago, the Fuimwira were the people who lived under the sea and in and around and on the ground of Tory Island. These great people saw all of the other tribes that came to Ireland and they outlived them and they fought with them all. They were the people that did not sow, but they reaped and they pillaged and they plundered and they took what they wanted from the land of Era. Now the greatest of these people of the Fuimwira was Balor of the Evil Eye. He did not always have an evil eye. When he was just a child, He stared into his father's druid's room. He peeked through a creek in the door, and as he leaned in, he saw these men make a great potion, and the fumes rose up and struck him in the eye. He fell back to the ground, crying out, and when he opened his eye, he poured poison onto the man who looked at him, killing him instantly. He grew to be a fierce warrior then, Any man he put his gaze onto would die there and then. It was not long until he became the greatest of the Formorian people and he married Kathleen of the Crooked Teeth. She was beautiful in her own strange crooked sort of way. When she gave birth to a little girl named Ethelyn, there was a prophecy. Kathleen held and cradled her child and was struck by a prophecy. She called out that no man could kill Balor of the evil eye, none other than his grandson. Now Balor had that evil eye nearly opened wide to stare down at this child, this girl of his, knowing she would only lay the fruits of his death in her wake. But instead, a softness rose in him, and he decided not to kill the child. 
Instead, he would lock her in a tall glass tower in the northern coast of Torrey Island. Surround her with 50 women. These handmaids would teach her everything she would need to know to be a woman. But they would speak nothing of man. They would teach her nothing of a man. And she would never ever meet a man. Or so Balor hoped. Now it was not long until this girl grew and grew. And into womanhood she came and she began to have dreams. Strange though they were. And she asked the women about them. For she saw in her mind's eye when she closed her eyes. A man's face. Strong and covered with hair green eyes and a stare that knocked her cold and dead but the women edged away from telling Ethelin what this really meant or who this was for she was not to know anything of a man now one cold stormy night the winds whirled around Tory Island they near blew the top off the tower she was raised in but a knock came to the door Two women stood there soaking wet. One woman announced she was Birog of the Mountain, coming to seek some hiding and some shelter. The two women entered, and no sooner had they come in than Birog played a tune of sleep, and the fifty hand women fell to their knees and fell down asleep. The second woman took off her robe and showed that she was not a she at all, but she was a he. This was Cian of the Fear Day, the magical folk, known now as the Tua Day Darren. Cian walked up the stairs and lay down with Ethlin, and they fell in love. And they fell in love all through that night, and when the morning grew nice and bright, Cian jumped out of bed and shape-shifted into the form of a great bird and flew through the window leaving Ethelin all alone. No time passed and her belly grew and she had not one, not two, but three growing inside of her. And when labour struck she screamed and cried and Balor rose to know that scream and what it would mean. And so he stormed down to the glass tower on the northern coast of Torrey Island. He saw Ethelin with three children in her arms with fear in her eyes. He caught the children in one hand and with the other he called up a great whirlpool from below. Down, deep down in the roots of the rocks, this whirlpool gathered steam and they rose up to carry these babes down into the depths below. But Birog of the mountain was watching and she called a wave to carry the brightest of those boys to Arden's shore. She did not have the means to make all those three come their way. Instead, she cast a different spell, turning those two babes into seals. So some say the first Selkies were born into the sea. Now, the shining sun, Lou, came to Ireland's shore and he was caught by Cian the cowherd, his father. Cian carried him all over Ireland. He taught him the ways that he knew. And he 
fostered him to fighting men and learned men and skilled men and everything that child was shown he mastered it for always he was full of questions and any question he asked he remembered the answer always and any obstacle he was given to overcome he did so with skill and grace so easy it was for this child he became the Savadonok the master of all things and now Lou heard tale of a war brewing the Fuimwira the people of Balor the evil eye were coming for reasons he did not know to Arden's shore and the king of the fear day, the two a day, they were preparing to fight, and they were gathering all the fighting men, all the skilled men in Tara to defend Ireland. And so Lou went his way over the hills and valleys, and he came to Tara before the fight. Now Lou grew to be the greatest of the fear day. He mastered all skills. He knew everything that he'd ever been told. And so, when he heard there was a war brewing, he felt cold as ice. But he knew he had a job to do. Balor of the evil eye and his army of the Fuimura were coming to Ireland under a different banner, for reasons he did not know to pillage and plunder Ireland for once and for all. And so the people were gathering under Nuada of the Silver Arm to defend Ireland. Now Lou travelled all the way to Tara, where Nuada of the Silver Arm was gathering his great army. Nuada had had an arm cut off in the first battle of Moitura so many years ago, but Dean Keck, the great physician, had woven a silver magic into a spell that made him a right strong silver arm. And so he was known as Nuada, the silver arm, and Lu went to serve this king, but when he got to the gates of Tara, he saw a gatekeeper stopping his way. You'll not get in here, no lad. Only those that can be used in the coming fight may gain entrance into here. Well, uh, I'm a warrior, said Lou. Here and all, we have loads of those who don't need warriors anymore. The, the whole thing's full. Well, I'm a smith. So we have the best smith in the land. Gubno, we don't need you. Well, I'm also a slinger, you know, because we don't have archers, but I'm a slinger, I can sling stuff. No, I'm a healer, we have Dean Keck for that. What about a stargazer? Love looking at the stars, can prophesize from the stars. Yeah, I don't know. A poet? Go on out of that now, we've enough poets. Uh, I'm a cup bearer. Now, with this, the gatekeeper was going to push young Lou along his way and out of the gates until Lou finally said... Go and ask your king if any one of his men can do all of the things I've named and be master of them all. When word got back to Nuada that there was a young warrior here who was the Savile Donok, the master of all things, he was sent for quickly. But Ogma was not so sure of this young warrior. Ogma, that famous man who started writing so far back we know it was he who started it in Ireland 
He saw the young man come towards him, and with his great heavy arms he picked up a standing stone, heaved it onto his shoulders, and threw it all the way over the crest of the nearest hill. And he stared down at the young warrior, slight in comparison to his size, and said, Go out there now and get that stone if you can. Faster than a blink of an eye will see a shaft of light landing on a stream. Lou ran out the gates, down the hill and over the crest. He caught that stone that had landed, and he threw it over his shoulder. And it landed in the exact same spot that Agma had thrown it from. With this acknowledgement of his skill, his strength, his speed, he was welcomed to the feast, and Nuda sat him down. He played a game of fidget with him then, the old form of chess, and they conversed over what strategy they would use in the coming fight against this Fomorian fierce army that they would fight against. And so Lou went and asked all of the leaders of the Fear Day what they were best at, where their talents lay. And so then, and in the morning of the great fight, Lou was made the general of this great and vast army. He set Dean Keck the task of digging a great well and filling it with healing herbs so that he could cure all of the wounded every night after the fight. He told Gubnu to set up his smith, and so any weapons that were broken he would fix and return to the fray. And he told the Dagda to play on his harp the most inspirational rousing music to keep everyone's spirits burning high throughout the night and long fight. Then he set the druids and the poets and the bards up on high stones so they could see the battlefield down below and the druids could cast their spells as the poets would look and watch and record in memory this great story that would be passed down through the ages. Now when they were ready for this fight on the plains of Moitura where so many battles were fought, they saw the fierce Fomorians coming from the sea. The horizon was speckled and dotted with ships coming from the north as they had the Lachlanites with them for this fight too. They were outnumbered vastly. There was no way they could stand up against these numbers as they called fierce creatures from the depths below and fearsome monsters crawled out to wreak havoc on the land. With the druids, they cast spells on the water then of Ireland to run away from this army so not one of them could quench their thirst and not one of them could relieve themselves of that agonising pain when you really need to go. It was locked into them and the stones and the branches of the trees would fly at them and trip them up whenever they could so Ireland was set against this army of invaders and yet they came in numbers and numbers and the fear day and they fought valiantly and fiercely throughout the first day and they came back that night and Dean Keck's healing potion healed those that were sick and wounded from the fight and Gudnu repaired those broken swords and shields and the Dagda, he played sad music to lament the loss of their brethren that had been lost in the fight 
and in the morning he played music that inspired them to fight once more. And so the second day passed as the first, and the second night passed as the first, and by the third day they were battling so well, they were fighting these Fomorian foe back into the waves, so much so that they sent for Balor of the Evil Eye. Now Balor was wheeled out, this great man, this king of kings, was so old and so heavy and so huge that they had to have carts to wheel him forward. He was not able to open his own eye, and so he relied on three times nine men pulling on great ropes and pulleys hooked into the eyelid of this poisonous, posthumous eye to pull it back and reveal the poisonous blast that would devastate the army of the Fear Day. Lou, from his point of view, saw this happening, saw the battlefield down below and knew no one would get to Balor in time. And though he was surrounded by a garrison of nine men, he leapt over them without a sword or shield in his hand. He ran into the fray, ducking and diving his way through the fight. He called to Ireland to give him just one stone. He set it into his sling then, and over his shoulder he threw it through the air. It flew as it knocked out Balor's eye, swiveling it around and around back of his head, a poisonous blast was blown, and it decimated not the fear day, but the Formorian host behind, and the rest of that battle was a rout, and from that day forward, Lou was known as Lou Love Father, Lou of the Long Hand, who became the king of the two of the Danon. So, Balor of the Evil Eye. Yeah, there you go. He'd remind you of a few stories, wouldn't he? Well, he certainly has been plucked and taken out of his context in Fomorian stories and placed into other great epic myths. Tolkien was a big fan, I believe. He uh, Yeah, you can see it there in Saruman, can't you? Or is it Saruman? No, Sauron. Sauron, yeah, the all-seeing evil eye. That was definitely taken from that, he would say. After all, he did have a Gollum. There's a Gollum cave in Clare as well. Oh, yeah, that's right. People often say an awful lot of Tolkien was taken from Irish myth. And Balor yeah. especially just seems to link into one. It just slots right in there, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. But an interesting thing for me about this mythology is that, you know, when Tolkien took it, Sauron is, is the, the embodiment of evil. I mean, he's only an eye, but he's pure evil. Yeah. And like the orcs are his army and they're this kind of like deformed, evil, corrupt race. There's nothing good in them whatsoever. And what I always think is kind of funny is that, you know, okay, the the Fomorians do not come out in a good light in this particular story. But Balor is not a villain in Donegal. Certainly not. Sure the Balor Theatre is up there. You wouldn't call it after a villain. Absolutely. He's kind of a folk hero. Because yeah. if you think about like, you know, he's, he's, he's a pirate. He's a trickster. He has all of these stories about him stealing things and getting one up on the people in charge. Um, and he's kind of a bit of a Robin Hood. Like, yeah. 
I, I always think that's a really interesting thing in Irish myth is that there are no clear heroes and villains. And even Lou, who is this, you know, the Savile Donoch, the one who knows everything, he's not above being a bit of a bollocks. Yeah, well, wait till we tell the sons of Tyrion. You know, I've the death penalty he gives the lads, or the... the Indeed. The Eric that he sets he for the lads. completely abuses a system that's set up um, to restore justice in a community and he, he makes it into a, a vengeance thing. But that's a different story. That is for another time. story for another time. <laughs> but this is just kind of to illustrate the point that I'm making, which is that um I think it's always interesting in Irish myth that these these ideas of absolute good and absolute evil are always a little bit complicated. Yes. And even the people who are mentioned here, you know, Dean Kecht, the great healer, does some awful stuff. Which is another story for another time. Kills his son, doesn't he? Who's a kills, better healer than him. Kills his own son purely out of jealousy and spite. Um, well, it just goes to show that there is, like, I think like, the Irish myth shows that, we, you know, there is no black and white, good or evil. Everybody is painted quite grey. So yeah. we're all capable of great things and terrible things. And that's kind of what it's getting at, I think. And this whole Absolutely. battle between the... the to Adedanon and the Formorians, that has been interpreted a number of times. Moriarty has a very interesting way of looking at it as well in terms of the the, the perspective you put on modern day is the Formorian perspective. This take what you want, this gather, accumulate, not grow things yourself, not be abundant yourself, not lead to fruitful things, but just take and own and, you know, Capitalism was going to grow out of that idea, and so his philosophy was to lean more back in the fear day or the two of the Danon kind of perspective. This more openness and oneness. Well, with also the world. stewardship of the land and actually taking care of the land that you're you're benefiting from, mm-hmm. and taking care of the earth that you're benefiting from, so that you're not just, as you say, you're not just constantly taking and depleting. That mm-hmm. you're actually restoring it as you go as well, and and planting as you go. There are a couple of kind of resonances that, that to that myth. Um, I think, you know, the the Greek myth occurred to me. That whole prophecy of, you know, your children will destroy you. Oh, yeah. It's very Kronos, isn't it? It is, yeah, yeah, yeah. And man, did he mess that one up. Good old Kronos. Eating his children. And then... <laughs> and then... And then good old Zeus missed... Missed the breakfast and came back fully grown and killed his father and got all of his siblings out of Kronos's belly. But Zeus had the same prophecy then as well that one of his children would destroy him. Yeah. He was all paranoid about that. Which is just kind of an interesting, you know, I always think it's interesting the kind of echoes, the kind of archetypal patterns that show up in mythology. This great fear of being outdone by one's children, being supplanted. Yeah, it's a weird one. When mm. you're supposed to be kind of helping nurturing you know hoping that that will actually happen in a way you know you're supposed to be outdone by your children they're supposed to be the better generation because you've you're passing on but not depleting i suppose well i think it's i think it's kind of highlighting what's probably a, a an uncomfortable truth which is that yes we love our children and we nurture the next generation but nobody you know there's there's the ego then doesn't like being outdone yeah. ever does it so there's a there's a dark side to humanity that gets highlighted in those kinds of stories i think and that's it's that dark side of being like no fuck you me yeah i but- i you know 
the, the, the fear of, of loss of identity and the fear yeah. of, of being outshone. Yes, because it's supposed to be Balor or a story. It's, I'm the, the lead character in this. It's about me, me, me. And then it's actually about his grandson. And like, how much does that become a self-fulfilling prophecy too? Like, you know. Absolutely. If you didn't lock your daughter in a tower, would her son then grow up to kill you? You know, um, and and the same with Kronos. If he wasn't eating all of his children, would the one who actually managed to survive want to murder him or not? You know, there's, it's, it's all kind of, um, yeah, that's, that's one of those interesting things about prophecies. Well, the other interesting, I hate the word interesting, actually. You know what? I'm going to stop say saying interesting. The, the curious thing I Just find. Hold on for one second there, because there's a motorbike outside. Start with the curious thing. So the curious thing I find in this story is how Ethlyn is forgotten about. Yeah. Like she's just placed in a tower. She has this love affair with Kean the cowherd, who we'll probably talk a little bit more about because he owned the Glasgow, and there's a whole other story there with him. And you, you reveal a different side to Balor when you look at that story. But but Ethlyn, regardless of either side of those stories, you you don't get a post story. No. What happens to her? She's just left there in the tower. With her 50 handmaidens. Now, some versions have her coming with Keen. They fly out the window together and they raise Lou. I've heard this before uh, from a storyteller whose name has... And I heard that before, that they both fly out to Ireland. They raise Lou on their own. But it's still... it's You never hear from her. Even if she did get out of the tower, you never hear anything about her ever again. She never crops up again. So you have this kind of separation and we, we talked last episode about the the kind of union between masculine and feminine and yeah. the loss of that in this story and maybe the loss of that from Lou because he certainly doesn't grow to be the Savile Donock in every single way he kind of falls from a high place in later life like he in you know in, in the, the rest of his story how he doesn't quite live up to be the greatest you know Well, he has his own faults and failings and some of them have to do with his relationship with women and his jealousy about women. That's how he ends up getting himself killed in the end is uh, over being basically jealous and possessive. Yeah. Um, But yeah, like, you know, that's a... I don't really know what the question was. (laughs) I was just... Was there a question or were you just saying a thing? Just saying stuff. Just saying stuff. Um... Anything else to talk about there? I think it's... I mean, I like the word interesting. I, I think it's interesting that... How these things creep into our subconscious. Because if we're talking about a loss of the feminine here... And uh, a loss of women's position... You know, you've also got to look at the fact that... In the vocabulary, in the language that we use... You know, when you're talking about the, the people of the goddess... The two of the Danan... Gathering for war with the war goddess of the Morrigan, it automatically trips off the tongue that the men are gathering. Yeah. And all the fighting men are gathering. Mm. And all of the men of the Tuatha Dé come to Tara. When actually, you know, it, it wasn't just the men. No. It was never just the men. Um, and that was that was one of the things that was recorded about the, the, the Celtic peoples as well, Much even though they were the people who, who came after the two a day, you know, in, in Caesar's letters, uh, he talks about how the Celts fought with their women, 
the, the, their wives came on the battlefield with them was how he interpreted that yeah but that you know this was this was a culture where the fighters were not fighting men yeah they were fighting men and fighting women yeah and actually it's you're right I do fall into my own social bias and upbringing of of saying the brethren okay. and the brothers and the band of you know male warriors that are in my head and yet that's it just definitely your head. yeah it just but i like i think that's fascinating you know i mean we we've told the stories for for a long time and and i'd often catch it myself when i'm telling a story and i've told that story where i talk about how kian finds his way to the wisest druid in the land birog and you can carry on with that story talking about Birog and you can kind of forget to mention that Birog is a woman. Now you did this time, but I, I've I've told that story yeah. where by the time I mention that Birog is a woman, I can see people in the audience going, huh? As they recalibrate the, the mental picture they have in their head of somebody who looks a bit like Gandalf with a big yeah. white beard suddenly gets, oh no, Druids, Druid is a, is a, is a gender neutral term. Yeah. You know, <laughs> Druid, but... But that's the image we have in our head, and that's that's the that's it's kind of funny that the the feminine is is has been written out of that story. The lack of Ethelin, uh, you know, who doesn't have a, a narrative after her the birth of her son, and the fact that she's the daughter of Balor. That's how we remember her. We remember her, unfortunately, through her relationship to mm-hmm. these two men in the in this story. And once we eradicate that, then all of a sudden we're going into the same narrative of this patriarchal view of these stories and we're accidentally even us yeah. who attempt to constantly beat that back and reframe these stories have gone into a little bit of a he did this and the, the yeah. band of brothers well that. like we're we're actually linguistically biased yeah against women if you think about it in in that kind of way if i talk about a warrior most people will picture a man mm. if i say the word druid most people will picture a man and that's not anybody's fault no that's the social conditioning that we've grown up with. You know, um, there's a whole body of work that Gina Davis did on, on analysis of uh, films in Hollywood. And you get things like uh, in crowd scenes, 75% of the people are men. Wow. So women are actually, you know, taken out of our view. And so we stop thinking about them as having these roles. Which is a really, like, it's a really pernicious and a really subtle form of, of kind of sexism that just exists. But it does, it skews our way of seeing these things. And I think in, in the oral storytelling as well, when you are picturing things in your own mind, I think it's a really interesting thing to kind of just catch ourselves doing and say, oh, all right, am I actually picturing, you know, who am I picturing when I'm picturing these things? Uh, who comes into my mind? What does Birog look like? It wasn't didn't men refer to uh like a man sorry man uh like mankind that was a gender well like yeah i mean this is what i mean about being linguistically biased you know in our culture today we see mankind as we would hear that as being just about the male gender whereas originally the term mankind referred to all of humankind men and women so it's it's a funny but even little the word slipper. man like you know if you refer to and man came uh, came along yeah yeah mankind yeah, yeah. slash man yeah. meant human yeah 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 but that... and it doesn't anymore mm. and there is you know that's that's a that's a little slippery thing about linguistics so, but they're all it's all part of a that cultural dialectic that has has gradually swung us in that direction so we're gonna knock that in the head I suppose you know cop on a small bit. 
suppose we'll <laughs> right so you're going to stop saying mankind and yeah. you're going to stop saying the men gathered yeah the fighting men I'm just going to call them warriors the uh, yeah, both both uh, what do I call them I'll call them, uh, what do you think I should call them uh, more importantly listener uh, I'd, li- I'd like to hear your opinion on yeah. this uh, we've gotten some nice feedback for these podcasts already so uh yeah, keep keep them coming and tell me what to say when I need a neutral uh, term. G- a group, you know. I keep on calling the Fianna a band of brothers. But what's a cool way to call them? Like a, a yeah. fighting faction? The the fierce... The fierce folks. Folk. Jesus, that's shit all together. Right, that'll be, all be right. about it. We'll leave it there, so. This podcast was produced and edited by Oshin Ryan. The music was by Oshin Ryan. And the story was by Aaron Hegarty. If you'd like to support this podcast, please share it with your friends. Follow us on your preferred social media platform. We're on most of them. And if we're not on your favourite one, let us know. We use the hashtag Podcast, and you can use that to talk about this podcast and share it around. You can support us directly by donating to patreon.com forward slash candlelit tales anything you can spare would really help us out and help us spread these stories send us your feedback let us know what you thought about this longer story do you want to hear long stories do you want to hear short stories do you want us to talk about anything else from this story send us your questions send us your comments info at candlelittales.ie and you can keep up with everything that we're doing at candlelit tales on our website candletales.ie You!